Now, playing the music of your life across Pontypridd, Tornapandy, Clantrescent. This is GTFM. Headspace. GTFM's mental health and well-being program. It's okay not to feel okay. So a very good evening and welcome to February's edition of Headspace, GTFM's mental health show in partnership with Kuntaf Maganug Mind and Valley Steps with myself, Colin Dixon. A very busy show for you this evening coming up, so let me tell you what we have in store. Today is Time to Talk Day from Time to Change Wales, and I'll be giving you some ideas on how you can start talking and fully embracing the power of small, how a small conversation about mental health has the power to make a big difference, ending mental health stigma. Keeping on the theme of stigma, I will be talking to Simon Matson, Chief Executive Officer of Gallagher Insurance Brokers, on how they are smashing the stigma and the importance of mental health and well-being within the workforce. Our main feature this evening is mental health and well-being for students. I'll be joined with Hayley Williams, Sue Jones and Charlotte Fry from our partners Valley Steps, where they will be here to talk through some of the key talking points and events they are hosting to help students who may be feeling stressed, worried or just feeling down. We'll be also getting a perspective from the National Union of Students here in Wales with their president, Becky Ricketts, joining me for a chat. And I will also be talking to Monica and Kirsty, who are current students at Swansea University, currently studying to be a teacher and giving an insight on what it's like to be a student in these uncertain times. And my final guest this evening will be local producers and DJs James Hoare and Ben Banjo-Field and urban poet rapper Duke Al to talk about their new single, Sometimes which has a very powerful mental health message. I told you it's a busy show, so without further ado, let's get started. Headspace, GTFM's mental health and well-being programme. So on Headspace this month, we are focusing on students and their mental health and well-being. Joining us from our friends at Valley Steps, our free practitioners, Hayley Williams, Charlotte Fry and Sue Jones, who are here to talk about some of the key points around student health and uh, mental well-being, and also as well some of the great events that they are um, hosting through the coming months and weeks. Uh, Good evening, ladies. How are you? Hi, yeah, it was great. Thanks for joining us on Headspace. Really do appreciate taking the time. Got a lot going on at the moment in terms of focusing on students and their health and well-being uh, at the moment. Can you talk us through some of the the key points around this subject for me? Yeah. um, So at Valley Steps, we're from the Steps of Student Wellbeing Project, as you said. And then the idea of what we're doing is working with students for students. Um, So something that's been really important to us is kind of getting that point of view from students so that we know where to take the service and when the project started um, we started off by doing a survey to find out some of these things and I'm just going to hand over to Sue because she can tell you more about the survey. Uh, hi yeah great thanks Hayley. So yeah um, so the Steps of Student Wellbeing project started um, as we went into the first lockdown so it's probably a good point to mention that as we begin. So as we came into post um, we, we had to immediately think about how we were going to deliver so we were supposed to be going out doing face-to-face with students sort of talking to students finding out what they want so we ended up having to do an online survey to try and find out um, what was going on. So we know traditionally that sort of pre-COVID that students face lots of stresses um, and that's been shown in numerous studies although a lot of these tended to be with university students Mm. and the the kind of number one thing on all their minds was study which includes things like deadlines exams presentation pressure to succeed balancing study work and play those kind of things and then the next thing was things to do with finance 
And that um, impacted then on their social life, mental health, diet, sleep, grades, relationships, those kind of things. And then the next thing was like relationships themselves and having to establish new relationships, dealing with different things. Uh, maybe drugs and alcohol played a, a big part as well as in causing stress and, and just dealing with change in general. So these were things that students were already facing. So then when we put our survey out, which was obviously during the initial lockdown, um, we actually got um, over 100 students engaged with us and gave wow. us responses, which was really great. And this went out to students within Rondekun and Tath and Merthyr, mm. so the college campuses there, and the university students as well. So it's a mixture. And, and so, again, their number one uh, concern about things that stressed them was about worries about their grades and specifically about completing courses and the effects because obviously there was a lot of change going on. They were really worried, didn't know what was going to happen, not knowing how long these things were going to go on for. Then the next biggest thing for them then was not seeing friends, family and loved ones, because obviously during the first lockdown, people weren't allowed mm. to mix. So that sort of impacted them greatly. And then the isolation that comes with not being able to go out and mix with other people. And then worries about um, COVID itself, about health issues. You know, am I going to catch it? Are my friends going to catch it? those kind of things and along with that there's still the traditional worries about work and uh, money so you know how am I going to get by um, and a lot of uncertainty about the future and whether that's in general because of the, the whole pandemic thing or uh, what's going to happen with college you know how, how is it going to change how is my you know is that going to affect my future um, lots of things to do with change of routines obviously you know people had to get used to this new routine there's a lot of upheaval and, and worry about that and some students complained about lack of support, so not knowing what to do or who to turn oh, to wow. within the colleges mm. or the university. Um, and then, again, the, the usual things about relationship issues, how they're working with, you know, this isolation. Uh, some even complained about lo loss of confidence and self-esteem. They felt like not being around their peers and, you know, other people meant that they were learning those skills, those social skills that they were, like, maybe improving on. Um and then other issues around like not sleeping and the impacts of social media, so constant bombardment of this information, they found that really stressful as well. Yeah. So those were some of the things that were highlighted. There's some great points in there, Sue, you mentioned. And one stat that broke, that came to my attention was um, a, a stat which the National Union of Students came out with in, in, in Wales, saying that over 60% of students at the moment feel that their mental health has taken a turn for the worst as a compounding outcome of things like you've mentioned you know covid am i going to get it studies was a massive topic we're going to be chatting to a couple of students a bit later on and they're in the middle of their pgces now they're worrying at the moment because they're, they're struggling to get their heads around how are they going to become a qualified teacher in the time of covid mainly because they the, the welsh government normally sets a, a certain amount of hours that need to be done through assessments and all that kind of stuff but because they're not in schools they, they don't know how that's going on so i can absolutely relate to to how you've said around the, the the students worrying about their studies and such and i suppose as well in university it's not so much the the academic part of life i remember when i was a student a student it was more around the the social element of of that and the and the life learning i like the word the life learning you get uh when you are at university so some interesting statistics coming out from your your report there sue definitely what other steps are, are, are Valley Steps taking to help support students then uh, at the moment? I, I, I take it a lot of your courses and a lot of the events that are taking place have been uh, driven on the back of your findings. 
as I said on the survey then, we did ask what types of things um, students would like covered in our sessions. So I just sort of go through a few of the things that, that came up. Yeah, sure. And um, so they said they would like help with coping strategies for stress, anxiety and depression. So obviously that's quite a common thing. People would like to know coping strategies around those. They asked about distraction and in particular coping with isolation because that's kind of a new thing that's come up from that situation. It's, and like you said, it's part of going to uni, like the social life is such a big thing and not having that can be really difficult. So it was coping with that isolation was quite important to them. Um, they also talked about positive thinking and um, gratitude, as well as how to sleep better, as obviously with routines being disrupted and things, people are struggling with sleep at the moment, so that was an important point. And um, they also wanted things that could help them practically with studies, so things around procrastination and motivation, mm -hmm. and as well as, again, coming into this supporting each other. How are you bringing all these resources together then as part of Valley Steps and, and how can students get in touch in terms of getting these vital skills and resources surrounding them? Yeah, so um, we actually did some stuff around when they were kind of going back to college and looking at going back to uni and how, you know, uncertainty around that and the stress around that. So we did some workshops um, and developed resources around that um, and We've also developed um, a set of workshops that we're running um, again in February half term. So if I just run through a bit about the workshops, then I'll kind of go on to when they are and how you can yeah, sure, sign up absolutely. for them for any students out there. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so we've got Mindfulness 101. Uh, so basically, you don't need any knowledge of mindfulness to join that one. Um, but if you do, you're also welcome. Uh, so it's just talking around how mindfulness can help you. Um, so it's it's been found to kind of reduce stress and anxiety um, and depression um, and increase things like concentration, memory, focus and creativity. So really helpful things. Um, and we also include kind of a short mindfulness practice so you can get a kind of taster of what that's like. And we've got loads of stuff on the website as well if you want to go off and practice <laughs> stuff too. Um, we've got a workshop on get better sleep, um, as we see that's something that's really topical at the moment as well and came out of what students said. Uh, so that looks at how sleep works, why it's important and how it helps us kind of function at our best as well. And so we give loads of tips um, around what you can do to get better sleep. We've also got one on boosting your mood. Um, so that's exploring kind of low mood, learning to recognize the signs. Uh, so it might be kind of thoughts or actions or feelings or physical um, signs as well. And in there as well, we've got loads of uh, different ways that you can try uh, to boost your mood um, as well. And then finally, we've got the five ways to well-being. So this is something that everyone can kind of uh, do in their daily life. Um, we explore what well-being is, um, what it means to each of us, um, and, and talk about these five areas where we can try and incorporate those into our uh, daily routines. So we've got two on the Wednesday of half term. So that's February the 17th. Uh, so we've got Mindfulness 101 at 2 to 2.30. So these are only half an hour workshops. Um, we've got then Get Better Sleep 3.30 till 4. 
on the Thursday of half term, so that's February the 18th, we've got uh, Boost Your Mood at 10 to 10.30. And then we've got Five Ways to Albion at 11.30 till 12. Um, and the way to sign up for those, so they're open to all students. Um, so if you pop onto the Valley Steps website um, on the online sessions page, you can register there. So that is www.valleysteps.org forward slash online dash session. We've got a course as well for USW students. Um, so it's starting on Monday, the 8th of Feb. Okay. Um, and it's around uh, building resilience, helping you to help yourself. Um, so it's a six-week course on Zoom, um, Mondays 3 to 4. Um, and it covers... Well, it kind of looks at building your toolbox of skills uh, to kind of help you cope with life, bounce back from challenges, feel good, work towards your goals. Um, It includes like loads of stuff that you can use to boost your well-being. We look at building confidence. We look at dealing with uncertainty, reaching out, solving problems, thinking more flexibly um, and developing those helpful habits to be able to take care of yourself and, and others as well. Um, so for that one, that's an interactive course, but you don't have to have your camera on. Um, but we will be interacting in the chat. Mm. Uh, because of that, the places are limited on that. So on the workshops, they're not. But um, on the on the course, uh, there are limited places. So we'll be in touch to confirm. Um, and USW students can register through UniLife. Shall all the, all the courses that you've mentioned, all the events, should I say, and the workshops, they're free of charge? Absolutely, they're free. Um, and the, those workshops are webinar style. So what that means is uh, your camera's not on um, and your mic's not on. So no one can kind of see you uh, or anything. So it's kind of like just you can just see the presenter. Yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing how we've all had to adapt to, to Zoom technology, isn't it? I, I did read that Zoom anxiety was becoming a thing where people were getting really stressed and worried about actually being on camera and such. And I mean, I tell my guys when I'm in, in my full-time job to go, don't worry about your camera. I'm not bothered if it's on or not. I just want to hear that you're okay. So, so yeah, very strange times we're yeah. living in, isn't it, at the moment? Yeah, that, that's something we're really aware of with the students. So we've been running some in-house sessions with college students. And, yeah, it's something they're not that comfortable with having cameras on. So mm. we, we allow them to not have the cameras on and just talk to us through chat. And that works really well. It's great. Sue, Haley, Charlotte, thank you very much for your time this evening. I really do appreciate you uh, joining us on Headspace. Uh, I hope you can join us again. It'd be really interesting to get you back on and see how well the, the events went for, for both yourselves and for the students as well and see how that uh, ended up that'd be really good if we can get you back on for that but for now uh, thank you very much for joining us I really do appreciate it GTFM welcome back to Headspace the GTFM mental health and well-being show still to come we will be chatting to Simon Matson from Gallagher Insurance Brokers James Hoare Ben Banjofield and Duke Al will be here to talk about their new song called Sometimes and we'll be looking at Time to Change is Wales Time to Talk Day Headspace GTFM's Mental Health and Wellbeing Programme. Going to university is a big milestone for many young adults. It's a mixture of emotions, worry, excitement and uncertainty, to name but a few. Compound this with the pressures associated of obtaining a degree, whether this is financial or pandemic-related, it's clear it's having a huge impact on mental health and well-being of our students. 
The National Union of Students here in Wales have recently launched their 2021 Senev election manifesto, where they're re- recommending the next Welsh Government implements a student health strategy for all students in post-16 education. To talk more about this recommendation and how the NUS across Wales supports members with their mental health and wellbeing is NUS Wales President Becky Ricketts. Thanks for joining me this evening on Headspace, Becky. Firstly, I just wondered if you could provide an overview on what your role is within the National Union of Students and what does the National Union of Students in Wales do? Um, So my role within NUS Wales um, is a representative role. So I have the privilege of representing around 350,000 students across Wales um, in colleges, in universities and our apprentices in Wales as well. Um, And, you know, I have the privilege of essentially putting forward the student concerns and the student issues that come through um, to our Welsh Government, to our change makers, to our charities, to our students' unions. And my role is therefore basically making sure that students across Wales have a voice and that those student issues are brought to the forefront and are heard by those that it needs to be heard by. And it sounds like it's a pretty tough job at the moment within the NUS to, to kind of, there's a lot going on at the moment, isn't there? There certainly is. I love a challenge. <laughs> uh, you know, I got elected to this role back in February last year. So I've been in the role nearly, well, I started in June, but I got elected in February. So I've been here about six or seven months. So um, yeah, it's been it's been two feet in, but it's it's been a real it's been a real privilege to to be in this role so far. Yeah, amazing. And and what would you say has been your biggest challenge as president of the National Union of Students in Wales? That's a very good question. I think obviously at the moment, I think the obvious answer is is COVID. I think that you know, obviously when I got elected in February, we didn't know necessarily what. COVID would look like if it would take hold quite as much as it has. Um, so I think responding to all of the emerging challenges that COVID has brought for our students has has certainly been one of those things. Um, but I think also it's it's also making sure that we represent the you know the breadth and the depth of the students that we have in Wales. You know we have students that learn through so so many different pathways, and it's making sure that all of all of our students in Wales have the opportunity to have their voice heard completely equally, making sure that they're, you know, that they are looked after, they are addressed, they are, you know, supported in the way that all of our students should be. Yeah, and that links in quite nicely to your recently published manifesto for the 2021 Senev elections. Uh, And uh, as I mentioned in the introduction, one of your key priorities is to end the student mental health crisis that's upon, uh, upon us at the moment. Can you tell me a little bit more about this and particularly around the bridging of the gap between NHS services and institutions and how do you think that can be achieved? So... Obviously, with the launch of our manifesto, we've also done a survey and our NUS Wales results tell us that 59% of our students in Wales say that their mental health has deteriorated or has been negatively affected by COVID-19, which is a huge proportion of our students. And, you know, it's, it's a real problem to know that, you know, COVID is having such an effect. And that's obviously on top of all of the other issues that we currently have going on. You know, the potential COVID-19 recession, um, you know, the, the difficulty with the postgraduate jobs market, Brexit, all of these things that students are also worried about has just been exacerbated massively by COVID. So the aim of particularly um, that point that you've raised in our manifesto around um, our post-16 mental health strategy is basically to ensure that there is, you know, there is support and there is parity across our mental health services for all of our students, you know, no matter of the age. You know, I think there's sometimes a concern that we can separate 
um, you know, apprentices from FE and FE from HE. And actually, all of our students need that support. They need that underpinning to make sure that their well-being is looked after when they're in education in Wales. Um, so this is incredibly important for us. This is, a, this is one of the biggest things that we that we are really calling for is calling for this strategy. Um, we're lucky that we have support from our students' unions across Wales on mm. this. Um, we've had support from some of our MSs in Wales on this as well, which is which is really really good. Um, but obviously, you know, now is now is making sure that the next Welsh government actually adopts this and ensures that you know there is parity of support for our students, no matter kind of where they choose to study or what they choose to study or how they choose to study. Yeah, and I think it's good that you know if you're if you're a student, and you're listening to this this evening, you know, and you you, you, you do get that sense of uh, feeling that you are looking out for the students at the moment, and I think there's a real opportunity. And and looking at the uh, cabinet reshuffle that took place back in October last year, uh, Mark Drakeford appointed a Leonard Morgan as Minister for Mental Health, uh, Wellbeing, and Welsh Language, and this seems like a quite a be- very big step for Welsh government to take. Um, how important do you think that a Leonard Morgan role plays with students? I think having a Minister for Mental Health obviously shows real willing and real ability from the current Welsh Government to look at this and look at mental health as as a real, as the issue that it is. You know, I think I think it's been cited that actually, you know, mental health is potentially concerned as the second pandemic coming mm. out. You know, so many people's mental health have been affected in so many different ways. You know, I think the uncertainty in terms of we don't know quite what is happening with things like lockdown. I think students that have been out of, of education for for a long time, you know, you know, even small children that haven't necessarily been able to see their friends and their teachers, you know, that's going to have a real effect on our youngest learners. Um, but for students particularly, obviously, we know that they they have really been affected. Um, you know, there's there's been a real difficulty in terms of coming back to campus or, you know, starting university in September a lot of students haven't necessarily understood if what that means for them. Are they going to be back, you know, full time? What does blended learning mean? I think, you know, blended learning has kind of been one of those new jargon words that we've heard that we've all kind of had to get to grips with quite quickly in terms of what that means for mm. students. Um, and obviously then we have a difficulty around making sure that our students could get home to their friends and families for Christmas, um, making sure that students weren't blamed for, you know, any spikes or rises in cases that we saw as we saw kind of, you know, in media, potentially in other nations across the UK, we've seen that students were kind of scapegoated and kind of blamed for any spikes. And I think that we've been quite lucky in Wales that we haven't necessarily seen that in the same capacity um, as we have elsewhere. Yeah. It's, it's been it's been a really difficult ride for our learners, for our students, I think. Yeah, definitely. And if we look at some of the, like you, you touched on the some of the, the, the way the students have been treated um, across many media outlets and through television and radio uh, and, and alike... And I, I kind of recall back to, I think it was uh, just before Christmas last year, up at the Manchester University. I, think, I don't know whether it was Manchester University or Man- Manchester Metropolitan University, where, in essence, students were caged into halls. And, uh, you know, looking on the outside in, that's that's not right. You know, and, and there was a lot of kind of gunning for students during that period. I think it was, a, I think people were running scared at some t- at some point, thinking, well, we've got all these people, uh, young, young adults, running off all around the country, going, finding a further education and a higher education and yet they're going to be super spreaders in essence and that you're quite right Becky you know that kind of came across scapegoatish uh, but here in Wales we've not had that that kind of uh, backlash so to speak um, how important is it to look after students in that essence and, and try not to make, get them to be the force the center of attention 
I think it's incredibly important to look after students. Um, you know, I think that I think we tend to kind of use the language quite a lot that you know young people are the future and you know making sure that we prepare them for the future is the best thing that we can do and making sure that our students have opportunities and making sure that our students have that support making sure that you know they have they have the opportunity to thrive because you know with a thriving a thriving population we have a thriving country this is exactly what we need um you know part of our manifesto is built on it's built on the idea that actually, you know, the NHS has absolutely been the saviour of of the COVID pandemic. You know, we wouldn't we would not be in the position that we were if it weren't the mm. of our of our doctors and our NHS staff. And actually, education can be a really big part in the post-COVID recovery. You know, making sure that education is accessible for people, making because you know that you know a lot of people are going to be struggling with with employment. Um, you know, with finding jobs and actually, you know, education can play a really big part in that. So this is where, you know, we're really passionate about actually bringing forward all of these, you know, things that we we would like to see in education, not not just because, you know, we think it'd be fun to have, but actually because there are so many things in there that can make really positive changes for the population of Wales. Yeah, there's some great points you make there, Becky. And one of the one of the things, just touching back on Welsh politics at the moment, and especially with the upcoming ele- um, Senate elections, it's a big year for 2021 with uh, under, with 16 and 17 year olds being allowed to vote for the first time in deciding on who's going to be the next Welsh government. How big of a decision is that going to be for 16 and 17 year olds? I mean, you must be kind of thinking, you know what, we we could actually make a huge change this year because we're going to have brand new voters come into the ballot box to, to to actually with a different perspective on life and you kind of it's kind of a new generation isn't it of voters that must be huge for the NUS yeah it's it's really really exciting I I am I'm so excited for the election day like knowing that there are so many people that previously have been shut out of the conversation finally have that option to have their voices heard at the, at the most senior level, um, for me, is something that's, that's so exciting. You know, knowing that 16 to 17 year olds, probably some of them who are studying politics at GCSE and A level, who previously won't have had the opportunity to actually say how they feel at that ballot box, finally having the opportunity um, is really exciting. And there's a lot of conversation happening around the election. Um, there's a lot of things that are being, you know, obviously discussed around, you know, obviously who is it going to be? Mm. Who's going to be in? Um, obviously things like the independence movement have really kind of raised um, raised the bar in terms of you know discussion for young people um, so yeah I'm you know I am I'm genuinely so excited and I think that you know I think any student you know any 16 and 17 year old that has the opportunity to register to vote as everybody does to register to vote to have their voices heard to put that cross in that ballot box um, is a huge tick in my box and you know I'm, I'm genuinely excited that this is this is the first year that we can do it and it's such a monumental year to be doing it um but yeah it's 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 something that i i am really looking forward to and i really you know i really hope that you know young people use that voice yeah it's a great message to give to the youngsters and and i, I think the 16 and 17 year olds across not only here in rondlecan and taft but also across the whole of wales is kind of understand the opportunity you now have uh, to make a difference to your world going forward is, is absolutely massive and it's not one to be let up lightly uh, from that I, I can sense your excitement from here really on, on how big <laughs> that's going to be um so I just wanted to go back to uh, university students as well. Um, how much uh, of a of a um, 
how much interaction do you have with students who are now worried about the the debt that's been inc- incurred from attending university? You know, it's, I think it's roughly about nine thousand pound now or something like that. Um, you could correct me. It's been a long time since I was at university. <laughs> um, but um, there's a lot of call out there to say, well, actually, student um, uh, universities should be refunding uh, certain aspects of that student debt, especially around accommodation if they're not being used at the moment. Um, and I, I had um, one student who uh, texted me on my show the other evening and said, actually, I'm paying nine grand for, the, for Zoom. It's the most expensive video conferencing call I've ever made. What, what's the NUS's view on term, in terms of that financial impact that students are going to be facing through the COVID pandemic? It's, it is a huge, um, you know, financial financial debt that students are taking on. You know, it's it's a, it is a lot of money. You know, I I checked my uh, my student finance balance not long ago, and it was um, yeah, it was not not pretty. But you know, I I was I was really lucky that I you know I didn't have to go through this with COVID. Um, I think on the on the rent rebate um, and the kind of rent issue, I know that this is an issue that a lot of students are facing. Um, we've been really lucky in Wales that actually every university in Wales has committed to giving students that live in their own their own kind of university halls and university accommodation um, committed to giving a rent refund in some capacity to those students. The difficulty here then lies with students that actually don't necessarily live on campus. You know, a lot of students live in um, private halls with private landlords um, or maybe live in kind of huge, you know, high-rise flats run by, you know, student roofs and things like that. Um and obviously, their ability to get refunds is is significantly more difficult. So this is kind of where we're focusing our our effort at the moment is making sure that actually, you know, you should or shouldn't. It shouldn't be a lottery as to whether you get a refund or not, just based on where you've chosen to live. Yeah. So obviously, we we got the announcement last week that um, you know the Welsh government are putting forty million pounds um, into universities into university hardship funds to address. Um, student hardship, um, student, student, student struggling, basically, um, which is, you know, a huge, a huge achievement. But obviously now it is making sure that that money reaches those students that we know, we know are struggling to pay rent. You know, there's a lot of students that would rely on things like part-time jobs, um, you know, in the hospitality industry or the gig economy. Um, obviously, we know those have been hugely decimated because mm. of lockdowns and you know, subsequent actions that have had to be taken in order to suppress the virus as much as possible. Um, but obviously, with those part-time jobs not being there, a lot of students are finding themselves in in real significant financial hardship. And this is where we really hope that that money will make the difference for those students. Um, I think on your point on the on the tuition fees, again, this is this is a conversation that we're we're hearing a lot more about. You know, a lot of students are are starting to to be really concerned about. You know, this is is this the level of education that I would want? And is this a level of fee that I would be willing to give to this? Um, you know, I think for us, obviously there's the difficulty is that we recognise that universities are not in a financial position to be able to give refunds to every single student, mm. you know, that wants it. Like that, that would just cause universities to crumble. Um, so obviously we are then very much pressuring the Welsh Government to continue to look at the tuition fee refunds, you know, look at making sure that universities are supported in being able to give refunds, you know, making sure that the money comes comes through. Um, obviously, again, you know, I think the difficulty with this whole situation is that actually, you know, the, the decision on tuition fee refunds has to come from Westminster. Yeah. Um, and obviously we we as a national organization are looking are obviously continuing to lobby continuing to raise this um 
with you know with with colleagues in in Westminster. Um, but it's it's definitely an argument that is that is gaining traction in Wales for sure. Yeah, and a little bit later on in the show, I'm speaking to two students of uh, University of uh, Swansea University who are currently going through their PGCE year uh, as teachers of mathematics, and they're giving us their insight on how they're uh, coping through uh, that year. Because um, I suppose with any kind of course where you've got uh, placements involved, that's going to be very difficult to get that experience, and a lot of that does make up for the mark for your postgraduate degree or you know whatever the outcome is on on that course really um do you find a lot of students are coming to you worried about uh either a the standard of education you touched on it briefly uh, in your previous answer but also as well the post uh, graduate graduating from university and what that what does that look like trying to get into a graduate job because uh, if I look at like uh, the insurance industry for example they may look at certain aspects of that course being covered uh, and, and such like that but with not being able to get that kind of granular level of detail in that in that course is there a risk there's going to be a gap between businesses and education institutions and how do we kind of bridge that and ensure that no one's be- becoming of detriment as a consequence of covid um I think your question on postgraduate employment is certainly something that we are continuing to kind of continuing to look at and continuing to to raise with the government and ensuring that you know ensuring that students have had every opportunity to fulfill as many of kind of the learning outcomes and the you know the teaching standards and things that, that they need to do um to make sure that there, there isn't that gap um but obviously there you know there's there's a concern and it's something that you know we will continue to work on to make sure that that gap that gap isn't there to make sure that every student has had the opportunity to do exactly what they need to be able to get that graduate job um because you know if, if it's a student that that isn't isn't kind of empowered to to get that graduate job then that is going to be a huge detriment not only to that student but also you know to the industry that they could potentially go into mm. Um, I think on your other point, I, I trained as a teacher myself, so I did um, primary ed with QTS. So I, I, I was a placement student. Um, so I understand the importance of, you know, the importance of placements, the importance of experiencing that workplace and ensuring that, you know, you have the understanding of that workplace. Um, I think this is partly why um, the Welsh Government have obviously made the decision to um, stagger return for some students. Obviously, universities have been doing that up and down Wales. Um, to stagger the return to make sure that those students that maybe have essential face-to-face, so um, medics, engineers, teachers, um, have the ability to have that face-to-face interaction to, you know, kind of in- explore that workplace um, and make sure that they are ticking off as many of those um, kind of external um, qualifications and recommendations um, as they need to be able to pass and to graduate and to to flourish in their career. And thanks for the insight on that, Becky. I really do appreciate it. I suppose, looking at it from an NUS point of view now, what what do you do to ensure the mental health well-being of students? And what tips would you give to students at the moment during this time? I think the first thing that I would implore any university student to do, or college student or apprentice, is to get in touch with and to get to know your student unions um, your student unions are there to represent you, to listen to you. They they do what I do on a on a much more personal scale, um, and you know they are hubs of support, hubs of activity, hubs of you know they are there to enrich and support the lives of, of students. 
um, you know, there's so much good work going on in our, in our students' unions. Um, you know, everything kind of running from, you know, offering mindfulness and wellbeing sessions on Zoom through to lobbying their universities for additional kind of counselling support. You know, there's so much work that goes on inside our students' unions. So I think that would be my first thing. Um, I think my, th- my second thing, and this is kind of quite a personal thing for me, but is to find and know your own limits um, to find to make sure that you know exactly you know what you are comfortable with, what you are happy with, and actually know who to go to and where to express your frustrations, and you know be able to kind of talk to somebody if there's if there's things going on that actually you're you're not happy with. That could be you know in your own personal life, that could be in your academic experience, that could be in your social experience, and it's really making sure that you have the knowledge and kind of empowering yourself to know who and where to go if things aren't going the way that you'd like or the way that you planned. Um, obviously, there's there's so many things that are kind of contributing to students' mental health at the moment. So also, it's, it's making sure, actually, for a university, making sure that universities have accessible support systems, making sure that, you know, there's opportunities for students to connect to things like counselling services, um, to be able to access um, personal tutors and things like that. There's a lot of different roles that different people can play in supporting our students it's not just a personal responsibility i think you know i think that that ensuring the mental health of our young people um is beneficial for all parties yeah it has to be priority doesn't it i think uh, as with yeah. anybody else with their own mental health not just for students but anybody who is suffering at the moment with it it's, it's got to be a number one priority becky just finally um because i know um, your time is really precious because you've got all, everything going on at the moment um, and i ask this of all my guests when who come on to headspace how important is it to keep the conversation of mental health going post covid my worry and it, I, I say this to everybody my worry with covid is it's great it's at the forefront of every one's attention at the moment but once we get out the other side of whatever the other side of covid looks like we're going to stop talking about mental health and it's going to go back under the rock and it's not going to be how important is it and especially to an organization like the nus i mean this this is a conversation that you know has been sparked by so much difficulty so much hardship so much sadness by people you know that that actually i think this is this is a time that we have we've got as an opportunity to really really start this discussion i know we talk about you know mental health a little bit and you know how sometimes people still see it as you know a taboo subject that actually you know talking about your mental health shouldn't it shouldn't be a thing or you know you can talk about things like depression and anxiety when you talk about kind of quote unquote more serious mm. uh, mental health difficulties um that's when people tend to shut off and actually mental health is you know, it's not it's not boxed up into little different bits. Actually, you know, it's it's something that should be spoken about on on su- on such a broad level to make sure that people just don't just have an understanding, but actually have empathy for those people that are struggling with their mental health. Um, making sure that those people aren't kind of scapegoated or seconded in any way. You know, these are still they're still part of our community you know people that struggle with their mental health it's it's really really common these days um obviously not just with covid but so many other things that mm. you know actually it's it's really important that this conversation keeps going not just to keep the conversation alive but to make sure that people that are suffering with their mental health feel heard in this conversation 
Yeah, absolutely. That's very, a point very well made. Becky, thank you very much for spending your time with us here on Headspace at GTFM. Really do appreciate you taking the time. Uh, wish you all the very best. Good luck in your manifesto uh, for 2021. And please stay safe. That's NUS President for Wales, Becky Ricketts. Thank you very much. Headspace. GTFM's Mental Health and Wellbeing Programme. So welcome back to Headspace, GTFM's Mental Health and Wellbeing Show with myself, Colin Dixon. Hope you are very well this evening if you've just joined us. Uh, so with schools and colleges and universities still providing blended learning here in Wales, our teachers are facing a difficult challenge in ensuring their pupils are continuing to learn and develop, but we need to spare a thought to what it would be like to be a trainee teacher during these uncertain times. Joining me on Headspace this evening is Kirsty and Monica, who are students at Swansea University, studying to become teachers of mathematics, and currently on their teacher placement here in Rhonda Cunnan Taff. Thank you both for joining us on Headspace uh, and giving up your valuable time uh, with me this evening. Gosh, it must be a tough time going through your PGCE at the moment. Kirsty, I just wanted to start with you, really. Um, how have you found being a student during these, quite frankly, uncertain times? Um, it's very different experience to being a student pre the current sort of situation. But I feel quite lucky with Swansea. They support. Uh, they provide a lot of support for the students, especially on our course. Mm. Um, we're quite lucky. Um, they like to touch base quite often, make sure we're okay. If we're not okay, they truly listen and try and make a difference. Yeah, and I suppose the lifestyle as well is completely different for you this time around. Because uh, I think when you're in, uh, when you're an undergraduate, you uh, the, the social element of university is 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 just as important as the lectures and actually coming out with your degree at the other side, wouldn't you say? A hundred percent. Even just having that face to face conversation with other students, maybe not on your course, but just someone going through a similar experience makes a massive difference. So it's been quite hard being not having that face-to-face um, conversation with other students yeah yeah and turning to you monica how are you finding being a student so i agree with what kirsty said really i think i'm personally i'm doing all of my teaching online from home this term um, and that's tough you know it, it's quite isolating but we've you know we, we've adapted we've learned to use zoom and we, we're sort of experts on that now and google classroom and microsoft teams and all of that you know technology has really saved us and you know quite frankly i just feel lucky that we are continuing with placements because i think last year they got cut short so no it, it's far from ideal but we're doing the best we can yeah and with the welsh welsh government uh, on on friday Friday potentially looking at bringing schools back after half term there's a lot of uncertainty at the moment around what that second placement I suppose would look like uh, given that we don't know when the schools are actually going to fully get back to normal and such but I was wondering Monica talk me through what a day in the life of a student teacher comprises of at the moment. So first of all, everyone is having completely different experiences. So what my typical day looks like might be totally different from Kersey and the rest of my peers on the same course. Um, every school is adapting slightly differently. So for me personally, I'm currently doing what we call asynchronous lessons, which is just a fancy way of saying pre-recorded. So everything is done. I, I sort of I record, I do PowerPoint slides and then annotate them on my iPad and record a voiceover alongside with it. And um, I will then schedule that on Google Classroom 
to appear at their timetabled lesson, the pupils will then log on, they'll watch that video and they will complete either a worksheet or a quiz or um, we, we also use another piece of software that they can log on and do questions. Mm. Um, but other, other student teachers are doing live lessons. So that might be actually going into school, working with key worker children. It might be on Microsoft Teams. Uh, it's really sort of no no student teacher is having the same experience this year. I, I feel quite lucky that I'm getting a good experience. Some teacher trainee teachers I know are, you know, all of the lessons have been done for the whole of this term, so they're sort of twiddling their thumbs a little bit. Um, but yeah, we're doing the best we can. And Kirsty, is that similar to what you're experiencing at the moment? Um, mine's quite different. So I do live lessons via Teams, So, but they only appear in the mornings. And then my afternoons are spent planning the lessons um, and marking and giving feedback to the work that they've completed online. Uh, yeah, so I don't have any pre-recorded. We just deliver live lessons, but via Teams. No, and I suppose it's such a weird situation to be in where I, I, if you were to look back last year, if you went into te- if you were looking back, sorry, at, at co- when COVID wasn't around, the, I suppose the, the experience of being a trainee teacher is absolutely polarised because you, you get that instant feedback from the children uh, and such like that. That must be difficult as a teacher not to get. I mean, it might be okay for you, Kirsty, because you have that kind of interaction of, oh, do you get to see the students on the other end of the, of the teams or is it kind of one way? webinar type scenarios it's more of a webinar i try and get the kids involved but it's the same sort of pupils um interacting uh, all the time whereas in a classroom you can pull on the different students and the quieter ones whereas you can't necessarily do that online because you don't know if they've got access to a microphone or to the chat function or you don't know if they can't um participate or if it's just they don't want to it's finding that barrier is really difficult online yeah. Whereas in the classroom, it's a lot easier to to see like if a kid's struggling or not. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine that being the case. And Monica, you say that you're you're doing purely uh, recorded lessons, so it must be again a different scenario for yourself in terms of engagement and just understanding whether or not you're doing a good job in how you're delivering your teaching. Yes, definitely. I think all of us are currently, you know, we have those moments of, am I doing a good job? Am I making a difference to these pupils? Um, But the reason that we want to become teachers is because we genuinely care about the success of our pupils. I don't think anybody would be on this course if they didn't. So it's, yeah, it's very difficult. You know, sometimes you will put up a fantastic lesson and get very low participation and you just have to be patient, you know, as we would normally in a classroom. But now, you know, you've got pupils dealing with, maybe they've got younger siblings, maybe they're sharing devices maybe they've got poor internet connection um i think we all just have to be patient with them we do you know you will get like kirsty said the same few pupils that are very enthusiastic and they will send private messages asking for help um i should mention as well although i'm doing pre-recorded our pupils do get at least one live check-in a day so they are being supported um but for us personally sort of as as a maths teacher yeah it can be quite difficult we do give detailed feedback when they hand a piece of work in but then again it's are they actually taking the time to read that we don't really know yeah it's such an uncertain time isn't it for both yourselves as student teachers for the teachers who are qualified themselves and for pupils at the moment so a question for you both really uh how much does all this uncertainty surrounding when the schools will return the online learning you've just been explaining to me and also balancing your own studies have on your mental health how are you coping through that kind of uncertainty uh Monica, let's start with you. 
So it's a difficult question. There, there's good and bad days. Um, and I think that, you know, if I'm honest, there are there are good and bad days throughout this whole term. The uncertainty, I think, is what makes it the most difficult, you know, not knowing from, from week to week whether we're going to, you know, is the placement going to finish early? Like you mentioned earlier, what's going to happen with placement two? Um, but Kirsty already mentioned, you know, the university is doing everything that they can to support us and they are being very open with their communication and that's all that we can ask. But I think it's really important for us to you know, stick together. We've got a good support network within ourselves, just talking on, you know, by text and WhatsApp and things like that. And um, making sure that, you know, you know that you're not alone when you're going through this. And all, all we can do is what we can do. It, it's a far from ideal situation, but at the moment we're just taking every day as it comes. Yeah, of course. It must be quite difficult to get your head into the into that right space sometimes. Uh, Kirsty, what about you? How do you feel the, the current situation is affecting your mental health? I mean, it definitely brings on, like, a lot of anxiety. It's I don't mind the teaching online. I definitely prefer face-to-face, but it's just the not knowing. So I'd happily, if they said, right, this is for the rest of the year, um, I'd, it'd be fine. You could make adjustments. But it's that not knowing one week to the next necessarily or the government giving some information but not quite enough. So you get your hopes up, and then it's kind of that's what affects I think my mental health most is that you think, oh, there's an you have an end date almost to work towards, and it gets to that date, and it's just prolonged all the time before we're going back in. Um, yeah, it's definitely the not knowing is very makes makes me personally very anxious. Um, I prefer just to have some clearer idea. Yeah, and I'm, I think if I, I can, yeah. no, yeah, go on ahead, Monica. Yeah, yeah. I was going to just mention as well, I think for us as trainee teachers, you've also got the added element of if they send back year by year, year group by year group, we don't really know what that means for us. So, you know, if they send back year seven and you happen to have a year seven class, do you go in all week or would they give that to the experienced teachers? Equally, council by council may well take a different approach. Um, So it... Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of uncertainty. And even when we do get an announcement, we don't really know what that means for us as individuals. Um, so, yeah, uncertainty, it definitely does bring on some anxiety, but we just try to take it week by week. So there's a very clear message to the to the Education Minister, Kirsty Williams, there to, to kind of give a bit more detail out when, when they do announce any plans on any phased return to schools and such like that. And, and really, would you say consider the impact to students at the moment? Definitely, yeah. I think there's a lot of focus put on students in primary and secondary education. I I do feel their education is important, but I do feel they need to have some thought about university students as well, because at the same time, we are still students and we've, we've got a lot to juggle as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. I think even, I know you've just spoken to the NUS president and a lot of emphasis gets put on, you know, students that are currently in halls and they're, you know, having a less than ideal experience. But we're quite unique. Probably teaching and nursing are one of the only degrees or postgraduate degrees where you would be on placement, actually out in the workplace. So we're quite unique because we're not quite, we're not quite employees and we're not quite students. So sometimes it can feel like you get missed. Mm. Um, and teaching particularly, you know, we've got so many standards that we have to meet to get qualified teacher status. We have to get, gather evidence across its 30-something different standards. We have assignments on top of that. So there's so much to think about all the time in the back of our head. We've also got the, the thought of trying to get a job ready for September. Yes. So 
I think we're quite unique in the place that we are. And I think, yeah, it would be good just to know that somebody is out there fighting our corner. Finally, I just wanted to touch on, so we talked about the mental health and how it's affecting you, but what advice would you give to your to fellow students, not necessarily in your cohorts as such, but anyone who's going through university at this stage? So... If I, if I go first, I'd say the biggest thing is keep communi- keep communicating. Talk to your mentors if you've got them, your tutors. Talk to your peers and just know that you're not alone. Um, you know, even if you are sat in the same four walls, it can feel very lonely. Or whether you're in a family home, likewise, it can feel lonely. So my biggest tip would just be keep communicating with people around you. If you're having a hard time just talk about it you know from personal experience i can say when i've opened up to my tutor before and said that you know like i'm having a really bad week it's they can't necessarily fix it but they can tell you what help is out there or what you can maybe do or even just be an ear there to listen to you and make you feel like you're not alone yeah great advice and kirsty what would you say would be your tip very similar really sort of keep going because you might not feel that you're doing a good job but you honestly are these are really tough times but also the communication is key and don't be afraid to speak to your peers and say look i'm not having a great day today because from experience we've got a really good support network on my course and someone might say look i'm not having a great day today and you'd be surprised because everyone then's like yeah i've had one of those days or me too today's just not going great and it's having that support around you you might think you're on your own but you're really not so don't be afraid to reach out to your peers and your support network yeah that's and i definitely advice. echo what kirsty said there about keep going mm. this you know this won't last forever it can't last forever and the universities will make allowance so you know i know that for example swansea has put in a policy so i think it's called no detriment policy so for undergraduates you won't be penalized as a result of the pandemics that we're currently in so just know that you if as long as you do your best that's the best that anybody can ever ask from you so definitely echo that just keep going yeah some positive and some great advice from you both thank you very much both of you for joining us on headspace uh, this evening i really do appreciate it. that's kirsty and monica from the university of swansea currently studying their pgce of mathematics thank you very much uh, good luck for the rest of the year and i wish you the very best thanks for joining now, playing the music of your life across Miskin, Craigware, Plantwet Fadra, this is GTFM. So good evening. If you've just joined us here on GTFM, you're listening to Headspace, GTFM's mental health and wellbeing show with myself, Colin Dixon. So today is Time to Talk Day 2021, and Time to Talk Day takes place on the first Thursday of February every year. It's a campaign by the fantastic charity Time to Change Wales. And they are asking everybody across the whole of Wales to have a conversation about mental health. Mental health problems are more common than most people realise, affecting one in four of us. Yet people are still afraid to talk about mental health, making some people feel ashamed or isolated. The theme for 2021 is the power of small A small conversation about mental health has the power to make a big difference. Time to Change Wales say the more conversations we have, the more myths we can bust and the barriers we can break down, and closer we will come to ending mental health stigma and discrimination. However you have a conversation about mental health, whether it's a quick message to a colleague, a friend, or a relative, even if you're having a virtual coffee morning, or a socially distanced walk and talk, it has the power to make a big difference. 
Here at GTFM, we are committed to talking about mental health, not just on Time to Talk Day, but all year round. Together with our friends at Come to Afmoganug Mind, Valley Steps and Time to Change Wales, we will help to bust these myths, break down these barriers and end the stigma. For more information on this, why not head on over to timetochangewales.org.uk where you can read more on Time to Talk Day. Headspace. GTFM's Mental Health and Wellbeing Programme. Managing mental health wellbeing in the workplace has never been higher on the agenda of business leaders and COVID-19 has definitely highlighted just how important it is for employers within businesses of all sizes to help take care of the mental health of their people whilst at work. One company that is getting it right is global risk management and insurance broker Gallagher. As one of the world's largest insurance brokers, the business employs more than 5,200 people in the UK alone, including around 150 people here in South Wales at Gallagher's Clancherson offices. I'm therefore delighted to be joined today by Simon Matson, CEO of Gallagher's Operations in Europe, Middle East and Asia, who will be sharing some insights into what he and his team are doing to support colleagues across their 70 plus offices in the UK. Good evening, Simon. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you, Colin. Strange times we're in at the moment. I think it's been quite difficult over the last 12 months and it doesn't seem to be getting any better. And it must be more challenging from a business perspective, making sure that, you know, you're making the right business decisions. And with the pressures that everybody is feeling, it's really impacting their mental health. So how important is it for a large organisation like Gallagher to look after the well-being of their employees? Well, listen, I mean, that's a great and very topical question. And it's, um, I think it's always been really important for us to look after our team, um, but probably more so now than ever. And, you know, it's, it's almost shocking we're coming up to 12 months of um, COVID impact. And, and I think we've been really um, cognizant that these have been extremely difficult for times for people. And uh, kind of, you, you know, mental health is... Um, you, you know, sometimes it's invisible, uh, or largely it's invisible. So, you, you know, and, and when you're all more remote, trying to connect to people um, and understand their needs and requirements is, is difficult. Now, me, and I guess all employers have a duty of care for their staff, um, whether at work, the physical safety is always, you know, a responsibility, but mental well-being is equally and thankfully moving much higher and higher up the agenda for each company. Um, so for us, you know, right, right from the outset um, of the pandemic last year, uh, we've invested a huge amount of time, energy, focus and resource on what we can do to support our colleagues as best as we can. And I suppose as well, it's kind of ch- changed the, the thought process of how organisations run. I, I remember when I first started out in my career many moons ago, mental health was not very high on the agenda. And it was kind of a case you would go into work and, and people would just turn around and go, I'll oh, just get on with it. And it seems feels like that's really shifted and has become much more higher priority for yourself at such a senior leadership level to ensure that safety of the, of the well-being of the employees. Yes, I, th- I think that's, that's very right. And, you know, there have been some very public campaigns. We, we've um, taken a very active stance on this. Um, you know, and it, it's it, uh, thankfully it's moved from being a kind of dirty little secret that no one wanted to talk about to something that really influences, you, you know, people influence our business. So, you know, the well-being of our people in every aspect really, really matters. Um, and a lot of the, you know, it's hard for an employer because a lot of the drivers for mental well-being are often beyond your immediate influence. And mm. what we've tried to do is focus on relieving some of the workplace pressures that can, you know, um, exacerbate a situation for someone who's suffering from mental ill health. 
Talking about re- relieving the pressures, what preventative measures do you look at at, w- at focusing on the well-being across the organisation? Such, uh, you know, with so many people under under your leadership, so to speak, how do you put these measures in place to ensure that then pressures are taken off? Yeah, well, I, I guess the first first thing is that um, you know is very open uh, communication. Um, you know, and, and from the beginning of the pandemic, we ramped up our communication. To have people working remotely, it's not something we've been used to. Um, you know, we've worked in little communities, and you know, and for some people, that's you know, you'd be spending a lot more time with your colleagues than you will with family. If you even, you know, if you, if you have family, mm. so I've been really cognizant. There have been people that have been kind of isolated, and I think that sense sense of isolation. It is um, it's really difficult for anyone to handle, and that that crosses, you know, it, it, financial, you know, health. It, it crosses all sorts of things because it affects people just in different ways. So, you know, and we've been really fortunate, and it came from the states actually. They said there's a power of power of ten, and from the you know from the outset uh, group have been all you know encouraging people to to ring around and check on your colleagues mm. um, as best as you can and have that communication. And I think. That's been really good. And I think, you know, I talked earlier about duty of care. It, it's it's hard to get up sometimes and get smacked in the face with the very, very gloomy news day after day after day after day, as well as feeling isolated. So, you know, what, what we've got to try and do is break through those, you know, barriers of... of, of I'm struggling for the right words. The, the kind of the, the layers of negativity that surround everything. Yeah. You know, there are some positives, and we have light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, as I said, as, as a kind of a business leaders, we've got duties of care to look after our team as best as we can. We have a great, um, a, gr- a great kind colleague assistance program, um, which is you know confidential. Mm. Um, it uh, provides colleagues who need it with personal support, advice, or counselling, which is done through a third party and absolutely 100% confidential. Uh, telephone counsellor who discuss her concerns with the individuals, referring to the most support, appropriate form of support, including telephone or in-person counselling sessions. Uh, that's no cost to our people. Um, that's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And that's something we've offered to for a number of years, but it's, you know, it, it's ever more active now. So through the Colleague Wellbeing Assistance Programme, do you see any kind of statistics coming out from there? I know it's confidential, but do they do they give you an indication of whether or not they're receiving more calls this year than ever before? Or, you know, do you get any insight from that wellbeing programme? Yeah, we do. We get headline metrics, you know. It, it is confidential. Mm. Yeah, ultimately, we pay for it. So, so we do see the usage of it. And, um, you know, and, and I think... That, you know, as I said, it's absolutely confidential, so we don't see where, but the numbers have picked up, and they've picked up through, you know, the various lockdowns. It's great that a company offers that kind of assistance programme, isn't it? I mean, it does give that extra facet, so to speak, that people can reach out to, to that, because they may not even feel comfortable about talking to, with, about their mental health conditions to their colleagues or even to their, to their managers or, or, or other leaders within the team. Yeah, well, and, and that's a great point you make. So what we've tried to do, as I said, is, is try to work on relieving some of the workplace pressures. In the case of the pandemic, we made it clear to our teams up front that, that we would support the needs for greater flexibility, things like giving colleagues paid time off or letting them work alternative hours to allow them to balance you know, their mental health or make it easier for people to speak out, um, childcare uh, needs, you know, 
again, if you, you know, if you if you're juggling your childcare needs, that's not easy. I mean, I'm doing that myself, and that is not easy. Um, so, you, you know, regular video messages of solidarity, support, team check-ins. Um, we've also trained a lot of our teams to to spot the signs of um, people who are suffering. Um, from mental health so you know we, we've called it break the stigma and we've had a very public campaign uh, or you know which which you know real people within our group have spoken out about difficult um, mental health situations that they've been in, in with you know break that taboo um, and and to show it's all right to speak it's all right to to have a problem you know it's all right to have a cry for help um, so you know I, 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 I think I think it's the, not only the right thing to do. I think um, I think I think it's it's a real positive move in the right direction. Just moving on. Um, so we talked about the stigma. We talked earlier around just getting on with it. Can you touch on the the campaign a little bit more around breaking that stigma? I know you said about keeping people, making people comfortable in in reaching out. What else is Gallagher doing to smash that stigma? Yeah, so if I talk about, so, so Gallagher, you know, as I mentioned, we, we launched a workplace campaign last year, which was called Smash the Sigma. It's got real people talking about mental health in order to make it easier for people to speak out, seek help and get support. Um, now, to make that feel that people could speak out, we had a dozen or so people from within our business, all parts of the organisation, including myself, shared our own stories. Uh, about having to deal with mental health and difficult situations. Um, now, some were, you know, some were humbling. Uh, well, actually, all of them are humbling, and some were really brutal to listen to. Mm. Um, but we wanted to, you, you wanted people to recognise that no matter what it is and what you're going through, whether it's happening to you or directly, or someone close to you, whatever the catalyst, it, it, it's all right to talk about this stuff, and you, you're not alone. Other people are going through this. I forget that that sense of isolation has just been exacerbated through the lockdowns. So we started running a mental health training for all of our colleagues, starting with managers to help them deal with the responsibility of supporting their teams. Um, now, if we can get to a point where we can comfortably recognise the science and talk about mental health as easy as he is talking about what we did last weekend, well, that'll be real progress. Mm. You, you know, uh, again, it, it, it's making it people just feel more comfortable that they don't have to hide how they're feeling. It's really refreshing to hear that because we did talk earlier a lot of people just get on with it and a lot of people do feel so isolated at the moment and like you say, it doesn't seem like it's going to get any better any soon but there is a glimmer of hope with the vaccines, of course. Um, I just wanted to move on then. So if you've, if, we've, if you've got an employee who is suffering with a mental health condition, what support is given to that person? How do you manage that process? So aside from team manager and support from our HR team, we've got a colleague assistance program, um, as I said, that, that provides colleagues with counselling, the telephone counsellor I've talked about, and we have that. You, you know, but equally, it's that kind of um, resolution, if you like, what's the return to work, um, mm. you know, and that's, that's vitally important. And, and I guess you'd expect that anyone who's been off for a prolonged period of time, for whatever reason, you know, um, then the manager and HR partner would work with them. Uh, to support their return because you know uh, that's a, that's a bigger stigma coming back to work that might mean a gradual return part-time hours you know on a practical level but also regular check-ins to ensure this is as smooth and stress-free as possible you know I, I, you know we're all fragile you know and we all have we all have things that you, you know we don't find easy and um you know it, uh, so you know it's that kind of the the, the more 
habitual we can make this, the easier this will be for everyone going forward. And I think, you know, I, 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 you know it's not a crusade. I just think it's the right thing to do. You know, it, it, and you know, we're we're a kind of. Um, uh, you, you know, we're, in, in our industry, we would regularly say, you know, anyone in my position would regularly say, oh, people are our assets. Mm. You know, so what should we do? We should absolutely look after them, um, you know, with warmth and affection and, you know, a responsibility that we'll do everything we can to help them. Uh, Simon, I just wanted to yeah. turn to you. Sorry, go on. Sorry. No, I was going to say, listen, you know, you know I'm, I'm really cognizant. When people are in dark places... You know, it, you, you know it's, it's, it's easy to stay in that groove. You know, mm. it's very easy, and uh, and uh, you know, uh, you can't just say pull yourself together. You know, and get get out of the groove, shake yourself together. People need help, yep. and you know, so you know, we'll provide the help. I think you know, it, it, it's really hard to fall into that trap, isn't it? You know, you wake up, you read the press. You know, they like to sensationalise all the bad news and, and give it a spin. Um, and and you know if you're feeling if you're feeling low, that's just a repeated punch in the face. And um, you know, you know I, I really empathise so much with people, at, at, you know, particularly at the moment. But listen, there is there is the vaccine. It's rolling out. It's coming. You know, I look at the, the numbers today. Yeah, everything seems to be dropping. Um, you know, so you, you, we've got got to keep going. And it's all about that breaking that cycle, isn't it? I think from all the all the the therapists and and the counsellors will always say there's that vicious cycle that happens where you wake up in the morning and you keep constantly asking yourself what if, what if, what's going to happen next? Why is that happening? And if you stay within that circle, all you do is just end up being in a rut all the time, and you never ever break that cycle. And and it, that's the key thing is breaking that cycle and doing something different in order to try and you know look after yourself, taking that five minute well being break during every hour if you need to it's it's all about just prioritizing you really isn't it yeah absolutely and you know we're all kind of remote working at the moment flexible working agile working whatever you want to call it and mm. you, you know there is a danger that every day looks exactly the same including your weekends and you know it, it's uh, like a monotonous bad groundhog day um so you know you've got to kind of train yourself to look after yourself and you know and, and you know, people shouldn't be working from the moment they wake up to go to sleep. You know, yeah. you should be having compartmentalised, protected time. You know, we've just we've kind of really encouraged people from the outset, take holiday. I know you can't necessarily go anywhere, but take some holiday. Don't answer your phone. Don't answer your emails. You know, your colleagues will, you know, fill in around you. Mm. Um, you know, take your lunch hour, make it sacred, um, you know, and uh, and I think that's really important. Do you think it's going to change how the workplaces operate in the future, Simon? Yeah, I think there's some really positive things uh, that we can learn from this. You know, no, listen, I mean, no one likes change, do they? You know, and, and it's amazing how the human race, you know, can cope with change when it's forced upon us. And, and some of the some of the things that are being forced upon us have given actually quite good outcomes. Um, you know, the way in which we can communicate with one another, the way in which we can trade as our business, you know, has changed, and there's some real benefits from that. What we can't, or what we don't want to lose, is that kind of human combustion and interaction where people are around people. We're human beings; we need interaction with other people. Um, so it's kind of striking that right balance. 
I wanted to move on to talking about kind of how you cope, if that's okay. Um, it must be difficult for yourself as a senior member of the executive team in Gallagher. Uh, lots of critical, tough decision, I'm sure, um, to be a fly on the wall in some of the meetings you would have held at the beginning of this pandemic. I'm sure you were sat at your desk with your head in your hands at some point <laughs> going, what's going on? Um, what do you do to ensure you're looking after your mental health and well-being? Yeah, listen, that's a that's a very good question. Um, you know, and, and you know, it, there's, there's no doubt at the beginning of the pandemic, you were like, you know, how the heck are we going to cope with this? And, you know, guess what we did? We, we, we managed it very well. But, you know, when you're in the eye of the storm, um, <laughs> you, you know, everything's flying around you. You just got to, listen, I mean, you know, you know, we're not, we're fortunate. We're not surgeons. We're not, you know, doctors having to make life-threatening decisions. Um, so, you know, again, you've got to try and keep things in perspective, um, you know, and, and, and again, the well-being of our people, you know, I really do feel we have a duty of care, I have a duty of care, so the communications that I send out, uh, you know, A, I want to be honest and real with people, I don't want to, um, you know, people see through um, false speeches very quickly, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you know, we, we're surrounded by it on our TVs every day, so, you know, People can cope with bad news. They just want, you know, they just want it as is. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I think the communications we've given have been very honest, very open, um, and real. Um, so, you know, all the communications. Uh, I'm not that articulate, but people know they come from me. Um, so, you know, I think that I think that matters. Um, looking after myself I, again, it's kind of finding that sacred time. I find, you, you know, I've tr- the benefit of the uh, pandemic for me, weirdly, has been I've been doing way less, well, obviously, no dinners, no lunches. Mm. So um, that can get out of control. So I took the opportunity to, you know, do a bit of keep fit, um, bit of exercise. And, and I find that kind of sacred time matters. And, you know, the link to, you know, having a bit of exercise and endorphins, you know, makes you feel a lot better. At the same time, funnily enough, I'm, you know, I've been listening to music and that makes me feel a lot better mm. and I think uh, I really notice it when I don't do it um, actually so you know I'm not saying I'm an exercise junkie you only have to look at me for that but uh, you know just you know half an hour exercise or an, you know a, a day you know really is making a difference for me and, and there's some gr- that's some great points in there. There's, uh, and a lot of people have, have said that. There was a study, I think, last week that said that through the pandemic, a lot of people have turned to music as a way of comfort and a way of distraction from from the bad news that's going around them. So, yeah, really interesting um, thoughts on that one. Yeah, listen, I mean, I, I mean, for me, it's not even like you have to go anywhere. But, was, you know, I've... I've <laughs> yeah, this is an insight into my life. Ever since Rocky Four in the mid mid eighties, I've been I've been an avid skipper. Uh, you know, I've got the skipping rope out, and I you know do half an hour skipping, and, and you know you'll be um you'll be sweating like a swamp donkey after that. I can absolutely assure you. But it doesn't have to make you feel a lot lot better. Do you and run up the stairs? Better. <laughs> uh, <laughs> then get to no, the top, going Adrian. <laughs> not unless I want to collapse. So, um, but, uh, you, you know, it also gives you a bit of time to think. I, you know, for me, you know, a lot, lot of it, you know, is kind of, there's a danger of everything hand to mouth. You don't get any time to think strategically about what, you know, what, what are the things that really matter to us as a business. And um, so, you know, so that's also a good time for that. I mean, I used to spend a lot of time traveling on airplanes, mm. and that was always a good time just to think, you know, without any other distraction, right? What are, what, you know, what are the things that matter to us as a business or 
strategically. So, you know, I, I guess it's about compartmentalising time and having some sort of structure and order. Yeah. And, and how important is it to keep the conversation going, Simon? I know everyone's talking about we're, we're in, not only are we in a, a strange time with the pandemic, uh, but there's also a medical emergency around the mental health and well-being. But I, I, I always worry, and I said this to my guest last month, that once we get through the other side of whatever COVID looks like, then do we, I'm just worried we'll end up just stopping talking about mental health because it's not still at the forefront of our minds. Yeah, listen, that's a, that's a really good point. Um, I, I, I don't think that will happen, actually. I think, um, you know, I, I think there will be so much, you know, if I'm honest, I, I fear there'll be so much mental health damage that will have happened from, you know, COVID. Um, you know, it, it, we, we haven't really seen the results of that yet. Um, so, you know, I, I can only speak for myself as an employer. Uh, you, you know, you clean matters. So, you know, that's every aspect of their their well-being, so mental or physical um, and financial, you mm. know. All, all those things matter to us equally. I, I, I think this conversation's here to stay. It would be a real shame if, you know, it, it was a flash-in-the-pan thing of fashion. And I just don't think this is, a, you know, a, a, an item of fashion to talk about, Um you know, I think, you know, there's lots of things that have changed, you know, Black Lives Matter, yeah. um, you, you know, lots of e- equality things have happened in the last, you know, couple of years. And, and I think I think this is a very, very important um, subject matter. So I, I, I don't think it will um, regress. I think this will, you know, stay very much in everyone's mind. Yeah, aside from anything, good enough mental health, you know, promotes, you know, people with a good mental health and, and people you look after. You know, the performance is a lot better. Mm. And, um, you know, that's just simple, you know, I guess that grassroots economics, isn't it? No, absolutely. Especially if you start seeing uh, your workforce um, being less productive and, and then you start seeing the, the, the absenteeism rising. It, it just, it's that, again, we talk about vicious circles. It gets into that circle, doesn't it, where actually you're not really driving the business as where you want it to go. But equally as well, there's something wrong where you're not looking after the, you know, there's a, the process of mental health well-being is, has fallen over somewhere if, if people are feeling like they need to take, um, you know, a little bit of time away or they're not, not informing us of uh, informing you of what's happening yeah i mean listen i mean you know lots of bad things can happen and if you have if you have a, a poor mental health so you know absenteeism is is probably the lightest of them you know can go to lock dark lock darker places or people you know their only means of escape is to leave you leave you as, a, as an you know as an employer and uh, you know uh, our people are really valuable to us we don't want to lose people we want to look after them so you know uh, it, it, it's it is incredibly important to our business but i guess any business should be behaving in in a way that um you know is, is kind of responsible yeah absolutely it's been a fascinating conversation with you and it's really good to get an insight into such a senior member of the team uh, and how the thought processes uh, go through and, and what the company is doing to to help do that i really do appreciate you spending the time with us this evening here at gtfm on headspace uh, i wish you all the best and, and please look after yourself and thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to to talk to us no problem it's an absolute pleasure headspace GTFM's mental health and well-being programme. For many, the pandemic has created loneliness and isolation as we all try to keep our friends, family and ourselves safe. 
With growing uncertainty and anxiety over when this situation will end, more and more people are turning to music to find comfort and escapism as a form of therapy from what is happening. The pandemic has impacted the arts immensely, particularly the music in- industry over the past 13 months, with no venues open, no opportunity to play in front of live crowds, and this is having a huge impact on the mental health and well-being of musicians and artists alike. Two artists who want to bring awareness of the situation through music are James Hoare and Cardiff-based producer and DJ Ben Banjo-Field. Together, they've created a meaningful song with a powerful message. To talk more about their new song, James, Ben, and the artist as well, who put the lyrics to the song, Duke Al, join me now on Headspace. Good evening to you. Very well. Hey, how's it going? Thanks. Thanks for having us. So, James, I wanted just to kind of start just talking around what inspired this piece of music, because there's a lot of strong messages in there, like, hold my hand and everything's going to be okay, yeah. and all that kind of thing. Yeah. What, what's, what's kind of brought that to the fore to kind of say, you know what, I want to make a piece of music that, that kind of gives that message out? So I think, I think um, it, it, it kind of comes from a place of... Um, you know, we started writing the track and it was originally meant to be a disco kind of housey, upbeat, lifting, that type of feel. Um, uh, myself and Ben uh, haven't been DJing, uh, you know, because of the, the lockdown and everything. Mm. So we feel as if, well, we felt as if a lot had been, you know, we lost a lot in terms of making the crowd happy on a Friday and Saturday night. And we couldn't bring that kind of energy that we do when we DJ when when the room's going and, mm. and and everyone's full of it and going yeah you know <laughs> how are we going to do this now in lockdown how are we going to create that buzz and and do this so we started off uh doing a a bit of like back and forth like a which we still got actually is destination disco back to back set that we used to do um we had a few goes live but it was doing it to a camera on the mm. screen as, as you know like it's really hard to get the 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 feedback that you do with the crowd when you DJ. Yeah. Um, so I'd been producing for twelve years. Um, my own background. Um, I was an alcoholic, and three years ago, uh, I found recovery. Mm. So um, there's a, a message of uh, me kind of being in recovery, and these guys got their own stories as well. But um, we wanted to create an uplifting track because uh, everyone was feeling isolated and alone, as you as you said, um, and that was sometimes and, and and how that started was it was meant to be a disco kind of a beat lifting track so in the studio we wrote the instrumental and we got all of that down and then um we realized then i went into the house after ben had left and those lyrics sometimes you get a creative kind of you know yeah. <laughs> i think so so sometimes i feel high sometimes i feel low sometimes i sing to feel my soul the chorus um, I just kind of wrote down at the kitchen table, um, mm. and that that set that that hook came to me within, you know, kind of fifteen minutes. Yeah, and it really rings really true um, that line, doesn't it? I mean, a lot of people will feel that high and that low with their mental health, so that that kind of resonates right through, doesn't it? In terms of probably what you went through as well as as you went through your recovery from from alcoholism, as you know, yeah. that's 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 massive, isn't it? Well, I suppose, yeah, I mean, those simple, like, lines, you know, sometimes, like, I think, like, I was I was really, really fortunate two years ago to find recovery. Mm. Um, and I think um, I kind of did the backbone work that everyone's kind of doing now in lockdown. Yeah. So 
I had to get used to a life without drinking. I had to get used to a completely different life without alcohol in it, knowing that I can't use alcohol in my life anymore. Yeah. So it kind of, without realizing, my recovery three years ago prepared me. Like, I look back at it and think, it's that, that's prepared me for lockdown. Mm. Hold on a minute. People are feeling, as I did three years ago in recovery, they're feeling that now with this lockdown. They're having to get used to this kind of oh my gosh moment where you have and you're like what what, what what's going on i, yeah. I have no idea what's happening it's kind of like that shuddering um, halt isn't it and i suppose yeah. like from when you went and i hope you don't mind me talking about a bit about the, yeah. the alcohol kind of were you know drinking consistently and then kind of shuddering to the halt to go you know what i've got to make a difference now i've got to change my life where actually yeah. you made that conscious choice to to do that uh, I, yeah. I suppose where at the moment through the pandemic actually none of us have had that choice to, to make that huge significant change from actually going about our blissful ignorance of everyday life to a point where actually it's like no hang on stay indoors don't go out don't do anything yeah. you can't even kind of breathe in essence from yeah. there so um do, do you do you find that a lot of people like your friends and family have reached out to you to kind of give that advice james uh, you know kind of how, uh, yeah how i mean I, there's there's been a lot of people not so much that but during my recovery i've had i've always had full support of my my family and friends and stuff and that it's almost like you know like when i first got used to my recovery you know trying to come out and say I'm an alcoholic and, and I went out all on Facebook, social media. Um, I just put it out there. Um, and, mm. and like you said at the beginning where, um, you, you know, you had a, a suicidal experience and you wanted to help other people change that. Yeah. And, and that's kind of how I felt back years ago. I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to make a change. I wanted to help people. Um, I wasn't just recovering, even though mostly I was recovering for myself, but, I, I wanted to recover for other people so I could yeah. help other alcoholics and stuff like that. And since since I've been sober, my life has gone from, you know, hit, hitting your rock bottom, as they, they, yeah. they call it, to literally over the last couple of years, me doing quite a lot of, um, you know, quite a lot of stuff. And I've been producing for 12 years. And I guess I've always had like kind of writer's block because the alcohol has kind of... Mm messed it up for me yeah. you know and um i've been sat there just drunk just ne not my songs and music never been really going anywhere never really taking it to the next step because i've been too drunk to do that mm. but um i suppose now i'm sober i have more room in my my mind and my head and i can um really uh really think about what i'm doing really take a step and i have like space because i'm not obsessing constantly over yeah. alcohol no, you see what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's a fantastic story. And congratulations on coming out the other side to that, James. I think there's a, there's a lot of people out there who, who, who may still be suffering. And it might, you know, even it's even compounding the problem of what's happening now at the moment. But, I mean, it's an inspiration yeah. to see that you can actually get out the other side. And that's fantastic. Turning back to the to the, to the track sometimes then, James, uh, how uh, did you said that you were DJing with Ben. Uh, was that partnership already there or did you discover um, together? How did you kind of collaborate uh, in the past to come up with this song? Yeah, go on, Ben. I'll let you go now. <laughs> yeah, not from. Um, so yeah, myself and James have kind of we've done a bit of work for a, a great company in Cardiff called the the Boutique Disco, yeah. like bespoke events, weddings, and and some really really good good nights. Mm. Um, so we kind of came together through that 
um a little bit of background about myself yeah which sure. mental health comes in all sorts of, of shapes and forms and my, mine's a bit of ptsd from having a cardiac arrest a few years oh, back wow. and ended up in a i was dead for 13 minutes in a coma for a week and the next few few months in hospital i've now got a uh, metal box in my chest called dave the defib to keep my ticket going Gosh. um and what what i've found from myself is that um yeah music has almost been my kind of antidepressant mm. it's kind of picked me up when i've been feeling down so <clears throat> when obviously lockdown came and we weren't able to go out and, and dj and perform to those crowds and get that buzz that we do from playing music i kind of i've always wanted to to have a go at producing the track and me and James just just got talking on the phone one day, and then next thing you know, well, probably a couple of months down the line, ten weeks, I think overall it took us to make the track. Like that, yeah, um, <laughs> well, yeah, we, we we've come up with a, a really good, uplifting, but not just your generic pop track that's put out there where the lyrics are pretty unmeaningful. This, this mm-hmm. one's got substance behind it, and it's as as Ducal uh, relate to in a bit. Uh, the lyrics have real meaning. Real, real thought process behind them and like you say people can relate to them and hopefully the our end goal is basically just to to lift people's spirits through music and hopefully this this track will be doing that out there yeah absolutely and like i said at the beginning i've, I've listened to the track a few times now and we, we're playing it out on gtfm as well regularly on our on our playlist which is brilliant yeah. this song literally hits you smack straight in the middle of the heart and goes you know what you need to listen to this because yeah, actually definitely. if you are going through something it you this is going to tell you how you can summon that energy through that and and i think it's a you know it's 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 a great job and to do it in 12 weeks is fantastic what was that process like ben during did you manage to do it out of lockdown when we had that period of kind of lullness where we weren't actually under too much restrictions or was it purely kind of virtual well, I'd, I'd say a bit, a bit of both, to be honest with you. So, effectively, it, it's classed as work. So, we were in a studio. We were maintaining a yeah. two-meter distance with our masks on and stuff. But just, like I say, bouncing ideas off. And then, obviously, using the likes of Zoom, we were able to have little studio sessions via Zoom, listening to little snippets here and there. Um, so, yeah, we've, we've tried to work as safely and as responsibly as we could to be able to put this together and like I say I'm making sure that there's not more than the two of us in the studio at any one time to try and yeah put, put the track together effectively yeah it's a tricky period isn't it I mean it's like it's sometimes when you it's, it's hard enough when you have to produce anything in, in, in life let alone think about am I two metres away or, or do I need to wear a mask at this point or how many times have I sanitised my hands it's like well, that's it. it's that's crazy because it. it's, it's, it's great um, working on your own because you're in your own mindset and, mm. and getting on with stuff but there's nothing better than being being in a studio with somebody else and being able to bounce ideas and enthusiasm and stuff like that off each other, which which obviously helped us create this track. So. Yeah, no, brilliant. Um, so and a like- lot of coffee. <laughs> a lot of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <Very true>. Yes, <laughs> but plenty. Of, you, you can never go to battle with a good cup of, without a good cup of coffee before the no, day no. starts, can you? <laughs> I, I'd like to bring in Duke uh, Duke Al, who is one of the vocalists on this track. And I, I must admit, I'm, I think the way you you you, you go about uh, performing this, it, it almost sounds a little bit like the streets to me and i hope that comes across as a compliment duke more than anything else but it's kind of got that uh you know that vibe which is great because it, it doesn't you know it's not like like james and ben were saying it doesn't come across that poppy but what does this track mean to you and uh, if you want to share any of your experiences as well duke that'd be great yeah no uh thank you for the compliment i appreciate it uh <laughs> uh yeah so a bit of background about my about myself um i'm a spoken word poet and a rapper uh, I wrote 
verse 1, 2, and there's an extended version with verse 3. Um, but I've been writing since I was about 11 to combat my own mental health. I suffer wow. with OCD, which is a very misunderstood um, mental health illness. Mm. Um, I won't go into the the depths of it, but it's very stigmatised. And um, basically, when I was having all these intrusive thoughts when I was younger, I didn't know how to cope with them. I didn't want to tell anybody about it because I thought people would think I'm crazy. So I turned to the pen and the pen became my escapism. Uh, so, yeah, uh, that sort of developed then into my passion, and I started pursuing um, spoken with poetry and, and rap about a year and a half ago. And, um, and yeah, and basically, James approached me for the track. He said he's got a track that he's, been, he's worked on, uh, an instrumental, and he said it's, it, he wants it to be for mental health. He showed me the chorus, which mm. is fantastic, and he, and he said... Um, you know, can you do something with it? And I said, yeah, that's that's an awesome thing, awesome idea, because meaningful music is, you know, all I'm about as well. I always want to create, when I create my poems and, and um, my songs, I try, and, I try to create them all with meaning. And, yeah, so I wrote verse one pretty much straight away, and then the, the other verse... Um, the other verses just came after it as I started to create a story. So verse one is basically about... Um, you know, somebody feeling really low, uh, got depression. You know, it's like the the lyrics say, uh, "This daily mental marathon mm. is a struggle, more or less." Because um, you know, mental health can be a ma- marathon, can't it? Unfortunately, yeah. So absolutely. And then, and then that transitions into the second verse, which is basically the person who's responding to the chorus. So uh, uh, it says in the chorus, "Together we'll be okay." And then he's sort of thinking, well, wait wait a minute, you know, I need to sort of get myself out of this because I'm the only one who can climb out of this um, and basically start to help others. So the second verse transitions into that. The person sort of becomes stronger and and just wants to basically succeed and is like, no, I'm not going to let mental health beat me Mm. and I'm going to try and, you know, reach out my hand and, and grab somebody else and lift them out of their you know mental health struggles and then on the extended version there's a verse three which sort of ties everything together and basically it brings in the coping mechanism which is as we said as i said a minute ago which is my writing and and music music is that is my therapy and and james and ben i'm sure and rachel will will say the same thing uh, yeah and it just ties it together at the end no, that, that makes sense. no, no, it, it absolutely does, and, and and you can really tell through the lyrics that it, it does come from a deep, you know, well thought out, meaningful place. You know that, like you say, you know, um, how that story transitions through, and then it, it's almost that kind of euphoric, you know, I can do it, you know, kind of sense by the yeah, end of it. the yeah, by the end of the song. So, so yeah, the, so so, and I love spoken word poetry. I think some of the some of the stuff that people like yourself write, Duke, is, is, is always feels inspirational anyway so it, it must have come second nature for you to to kind of put pen to paper doing something like this well i've i've always as i said i've always used um my poetry and my raps to combat my own mental health and then as i've grown older i've been able to create stories that hopefully people can relate to um that'll be captivating enough for people to yeah relate to and then maybe educate those who don't understand some mental health issues uh, and I try and do it in, uh, in in a way where people you know for example music a lot of people listen to music so it's going to be number one getting that message out there but number two 
uh, with with the whole you know instrumental and the beat and the chorus. It's there just to uplift people, you know, especially especially during these obviously crazy moments <laughs> on earth. So. <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, thanks, Duke. So turning back to James, James, just to finish th- th- this section off with you. Um, what 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 do you want to achieve from this song? What would be your message to anyone who is kind of thinking, you know what, I want to give it a listen, or actually, you know what, I'm sat here at home thinking, you know, life is a bit rubbish, I'm a bit low. What, what would you say to people? And, and that's the same for anyone like Ben or Duke, if you want to chip in as well. Yeah, um, I just want people to listen to it and just feel inspired, feel that um, they are not alone, because... Um, if anything, this pandemic pandemic is, is is reinforced isolation and aloneness, and so that there's other people suffering. But not only that, um, a lot of people kind of go towards like how adults are feeling and stuff like that. Mm. I really want to inspire children to to um, get in touch with their emotions. And you know, my journey started as an alcoholic when I was about fifteen, fourteen, fifteen. Uh, that's when you know it, it kind of escalated, yeah. Um, and I really want uh, you know sort of younger people, teenagers, and things like that to just reach out and you know support each other, and um, you know listen to the track and go, oh, okay, I feel like that, but I know I can go somewhere to speak to people. Sometimes it's hard for them to reach out to their parents, family, friends, all of that sort of stuff. So what I found was. Um, a community who were actively, you know, I I felt listened and I felt heard, mm. and that is the the you know the point of, of recovery when you when you find somewhere that you can feel listened and heard. Um, it's incredible. And you touched on the stigma as well, and one of the topics we've been talking about this evening is around smashing that stigma as well, and especially in yeah. workplaces. You know, uh, uh, you may have ex- experienced it yourself, James and, and Ben and Duke, you know, when you've gone into a, into a certain situation and you kind of, you feel like you can't tell anybody what's going on because they'll either kind of judge you or they'll just, you know, that, that old adage of, I'll oh, just get over you, you know, you'll be all right, there's nothing to stress yeah. about type thing. So, uh, yeah, vitally, vitally important, but a great message. Uh, ben, Duke, anything you'd like to add? Well, just on, on your point there, <clears throat> you know, like um, I think it's, it goes down to the old BT saying it, it's good to talk. Mm. Um, when I when I came out of hospital and obviously I was struggling a bit, I, I went for counselling and it was crazy the amount of times I, w- I would say to like a, a friend or a work colleague, oh, I'm, I'm just going for some counselling. They're like, oh yeah, I went last week. And like you say, there's this stigma around it and everybody keeps quiet about it, especially us blokes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it'd be surprising how many people who actually reach out and get help but just don't talk to each other about it. Mm. So I think definitely it's good to talk and it's good to listen and it's good to listen to good music, like sometimes. So. <laughs> <laughs> Towing the corporate line there, Ben, that's fantastic. <laughs> no, no, but it's, it's a great message and, and that's exactly what we need to encourage is that talking. I'm, I'm, and just on that point, one of the biggest things I always say to all my guests is we need to keep talking post-pandemic as well because although we've got a medical emergency in terms of the coronavirus and um, I, I hate saying the word in fact on air I call it the Rona now because I don't even want to know it as, as its form, formal name um, but you know it's kind of like once we get out the other side or whatever the other side looks like we need to keep talking about mental health because we don't want it to be pushed under the carpet again so um, it's a great point Ben it really is good to talk. Uh, Duke anything final from yourself? No, well, just uh, I want to relay what what the guy said. Just talk, talk to your friends, talk to your family, talk to a helpline. Somebody will listen, and somebody will probably relate to you because I feel like 
um, you know, humans are complex beings. We're all probably suffering with some sort of mental health anyway. So uh, it's crazy how much people can relate to each other when they do talk. Mm. And um, and also me personally, for me, finding out, finding what are my negative coping mechanisms and my positive coping mechanisms. I myself struggled with a bit of alcohol as well, um, which was obviously a, ne- a very negative coping mechanism. Mm. You know, but just just recognizing that, you know, when I go down that route of of the short term fix, that is, it's never really, it never ends well, if that makes sense. Yeah. And also, I think um, educating yourself about the maybe mental health condition that you may have, that's also really helped me because it's it's helped me be able to manage it better, just because I know exactly what it is. So if I'm having a low day, I'm like, well, it's because I've got OCD. And I'm doing this compulsion because I have OCD. And then I'm like, I can sort of snap out of it, if you know what I mean. Mm. Um, I think that's really important um, just going forward. Uh, but, yeah, the the biggest message is together we'll be okay. And, you know, we should we should always talk. And a great message. So, to, just Sorry, go on, Ben. Yeah, absolutely. Me, yeah. Just, you mentioned about what, we, what we're trying to achieve effectively mm. with this track. And um, we're, obviously it's to get it out there and be heard more. But that's not from a selfish point of view from ourselves that's we've yeah. linked in with a, a few charities to try yeah. and help them as well and okay yeah bring a bit more awareness mm. so we've got um, up in north wales we got kais uh down in cardiff we got the living room and adveriad and then across the bridge in bristol we got bluebell care as well so we've got three three charities involved so far and we're, we're in talks with mind obviously links in with yourself as well yeah about helping us kind of push the track a bit more through their social media platforms and kind of use use music as a as a form of an antidepressant as well so what we'll do as well ben we'll put them charities onto our website as well so if anyone does need to kind of go and, and find it and if they're listening because uh you know people can listen on the app across the world really in essence for gtfm uh, we'll make sure that all them charities are, are listed on our uh, on our website as well so people can go and get some advice from wherever Amazing. they are so yeah no that's, yeah, that's thank fantastic. you very much where can you listen to the song and and have you got any kind of social medias and, and such like that which listeners can uh, can head on over to really yeah, sure. Um, so you've got, you know, if you if you look on Facebook, it's uh, James Hall Music on Facebook, and uh, obviously Ben Banjo Fields and Duke Al. Uh, you're Duke Al Durham on Facebook, aren't you? On on Instagram, yeah. On Instagram, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, and then you you can sort of listen via those posts. But um, the the main one is uh, Ask Alexa, really. Play sometimes by Ben Banjo Fields. <laughs> And uh, James Hoare, and you can on Spotify, on um, you know Apple Music and YouTube Music. Anything else to add, Ben? Uh, you've got Tidal and Deezer are the only other two ones on my head. So, so yeah, many on, on, on all digital streaming platforms. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all streaming platforms. But if you want to follow us or drop us a message or anything like that, or if you are um, struggling out there and you, you you're looking for somewhere to turn to. Um, you know, we're 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 always here to talk and share our experiences and and, and help as well. So if you want to give us a private DM or anything like that, reach out to us. So I'm I'm James Hall. Um, so James Hall Music and then and Banjo Field and Duke Aldurham on Instagram. 
Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, guys. I really do appreciate you taking the time to talk to us this evening, and thanks for being so open as well. Uh, I know sometimes that can be quite hard to talk about, but I'm sure our listeners at home would really appreciate to hear that. You know, other people are, are, have got their own struggles uh, and are, are coping with it, and and seeing the other side to it as well, which is fantastic. Thank you very much for joining us on Headspace, guys. I really do appreciate. It. Thank you very much. Stay safe and look after yourselves. Thank you. Thanks, Simon. Sometimes I find myself second guessing. It's like my mind's not mine, it's teaching me a lesson. All my dads are alive, I try to fight, but it's testing. Will I ever qualify? Gonna break my depression ever since the leave, like a northern breeze. I'm the leaf forever falling from a tree. We're just coming, but my mind's already like a blizzard where the warning need a wizard or a genie. Brains forever storming. I tried to run like Eddie is hard, but this morning I could barely leave my mark. This daily mental marathon is exhausting. You see, my alarm went off. On your marks, ready, get set, bang, like the sound of a gun. Overthinking was triggered. Every feeling of calm was shot. I was stunned, my body went numb. Anxiety alive inside of me, quietly. I'm quivering, it's slithering, diminishing, delivering a pain again. It's scribbling, but I'm never giving in. I find it difficult talking. I need a helping hand to take a step, start walking. Reach out for a helping hand, we can both use the oars. You're gonna be okay, you can talk as we row to the shore. So 
such a great song. That's called Sometimes from James Hoare and Ben Banjo-Field. That's all from me on Headspace this month. I do hope you've enjoyed the programme. If you've missed any of the interviews, you'll be able to watch the interviews on the GTFM Facebook page. Listen again on the GTFM website. That's at gtfm.co.uk. As always, if you feel like you need to talk to someone this evening, please contact Samaritans on 116123. My thanks to all my guests this evening. Andy Fox is up next with The Rock Show here on GTFM, and I'll be with you on Saturday evening with The House Party from 6pm. Have a safe evening, and please look after yourself. Diokin vau